So this week, we're going to start off a new topic, um, but one that is leaning off the back of the last one. We're going to look at continuing to look at this thread and this idea of hope, what it means for us today. And what we're going to do is actually we're going to use the book of Daniel to understand what life is like for us at the moment, and to also for us to understand um, how do we respond today. And, you know, the book of Daniel, a lot of the times in Christian circles particularly, um, the book of Daniel gets brought out when people are looking for end times and, you know, look into these prophetical writings and see if we can navigate how do we know when the world's going to end and all of that. I don't believe that the book of Daniel was ever written <laughs> for that purpose whatsoever. Um, the book of Daniel serves a great purpose, but it's not one for us to be able to calculate end times and all that. Personally, I don't, I don't ascribe to that way of thinking. Um, so, we're going to take Daniel 2 today. And just to give us some, oh, a bit of background to those of us that may be unfamiliar with Daniel. Daniel 2 is a story about a group of people that will one day live in their lives. A group of Israelites that were one day living their lives and one day their whole lives just got turned upside down. And therefore this is a topic that I feel that we can in some way, not literally but symbolically, maybe understand a little bit with the recent scenario. And so it's a story of human history where humanity and it's in, in its all, all of its depravity has gone to another people group chained them up, marched them out of their town and captured them, brought them to their own city and forced them to work and become slaves in a foreign country. This is, unfortunately, the story of history. This is the story of what our humanity does. And we are never going to have that level of upheaval, hopefully, in our lifetime. But we do understand a scenario about having our world turned upside down. And we also, as Christians, should be able to understand that what this story is about is about what it's like to be a minority in a culture. And interestingly, the four main characters of Daniel are four wealthy Israelites that are actually taken in by the Babylonians, they're given Babylonian names, they wear their clothes, and they begin to assimilate in various different ways with Babylonian culture. And this was not considered unfaithful for them to do this. However, what we'll see at various points throughout Daniel, as we go through the next number of weeks, is that there were certain moments in time where they decided that that's as far as I'll go there because any more will be compromising on my faith in God. And so we see very early in the book of Daniel this idea of food. Now food for the Jewish people was hugely symbolic. And Daniel said, I can take your name, I can wear your clothes, but your food, that's a step too far. And we'll see at different points a decision has to be made where... I have to choose to swim against the current in order to be faithful to God. And what I want to look at particularly is what 
in this book teaches us about what motivated and fueled Daniel and his friends' long-term faithfulness. Imagine this scenario. If you go into a, a, a river that's flowing, you know, even when you don't look, I don't know if anyone's ever swam in a river, but we've done a few races in rivers. Um, and, you know, we've done one particularly regularly in the river, in the river uh, Seven. And the river doesn't look like it's flowing very fast. But you have to, we swim downstream for much, fortunately. But there's a moment where we all get in the water and we all have to wait on the start line. Now, when there's a flowing river behind you, trying to wait on a start line is really difficult. And actually, you have to keep swimming against the river, the river, the flow of the river, in order to stay behind the start line. And the fact of the matter is, when you're in a in a river that's flowing, it takes absolutely no effort whatsoever to drift along with the current. It takes no effort at all to go with the current. But it takes a certain amount of strength and determination and willpower to swim away from the current. And very early on in today's message, I just want to put this idea into your head. And that is to understand that as a Christian, trying to live out and understand what it means to follow Jesus in this world... It does not mean locking ourselves in a convent, in a church building, shutting out the world. It do, what it means is being in the world, but knowing when to swim against the current. Learning to navigate and understand that, for me, this is compromising my faith in God. This is too far. Daniel and his friends, they didn't shut themselves away. They assimilated, they got jobs, they worked for the government, they worked and served under the King Nebuchadnezzar, but they had a, a fundamental understanding of when not to go with the flow. When to say no and go in the opposite direction. Now that takes strength, that takes courage, and that takes determination, just like swimming against the current in a river. Now the problem is, is that when we are weak, when we are struggling, and when we give up, we don't stand still, we just go with the flow. And I want to very early drop this idea and ask you, are you... Swimming against the river? Or are you just happy to go with the flow because it's the easy thing to do? The book of Daniel is going to teach us how to understand what it means to remain faithful when it feels like the weight of the river is pushing against us and how we remain Faithful without abandoning our faith and our commitment to God. When it feels like the pressure and it feels like the flow and the force and everything is just bombarding us. The book of Daniel is going to tell us. You know, a point 
very early on. Is that when the culture is pushing against us, when our nation's fad or whatever it's next, when, that, when our culture of our people push against us, the answer is not to lock ourselves away. The answer is not to shut our doors. But it is to understand what is going to fuel and motivate us long term to keep going in the right direction. And to do that, we're going to read verse chapter 2 in its entirety. It's one of the longest chapters. I thought that if there's any a safe place to read the Bible, it's probably church. Um, no one can tell you off for reading too long a scripture in church. Um, so we're going to actually read all of uh, chapter 2. You know, it's a crazy chapter, and I find it really interesting, and I'm sure you will too. And we're going to learn a very simple point on how do we today in our lives motivate ourselves that when the pressure feels like it's on, we continue to make the right decision, just like Daniel and his friends. So let's start. And we're going to pull lots of different things out of this, and um, I hope I'm going to maybe put a different, maybe a different way of thinking on it that we've thought of before. So let's start. It says, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. The astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever, which is what anybody that's ever served a king has always said before they're about to give bad news. Um, it's, the, it's their version of long live the king. Oh dear, I'm going to give you some bad news. So he says, may the king live forever. Word to the wise if you're ever serving a king and want to keep your head. Tell your servants the dream and then we will interpret it. So just to fill us in, Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream and he's troubled by it. He doesn't just want the interpretation. He actually wants his advisors to tell him what his dream was. I mean, how, not, how, how narcissistic is that? I mean, I've had a dream and I want you to tell me what my dream was. And they're going, you tell us what the dream was and we'll tell you what it was about. So the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'm going to have you cut into pieces and your house turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Let me just pause there. Let me just... Nebuchadnezzar represents in many ways what the world has to offer you. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar has what the world has to offer. And that is, give me what I want and I'll, I'll give you wonderful things. Don't, and I'll cut you down. And believe it or not, how many of us are stuck in a loop of buying into an idea that we think is going to fulfill us, buying into a concept, buying into a, a way of living that we think is going to make me happier, and it offers me gifts, and it offers me money, and it offers me pleasures. But the moment you turn your back on it, it's going to cut you down and tear you into pieces and destroy you. 
How many of us are stuck in that loop? Well, this is the state of the world, that depending on how this king wakes up on this day, heads will roll or gifts will come. And that, that uh, up and down cycle of life, today it's death, tomorrow it's life, today it's death, tomorrow it's life, is the cycle that so many people are trapped in. That they are chasing the ups and suffering the downs, serving King Nebuchadnezzar in their lives today. Just a side point. Once more, they replied, let the king tell the servants the dream and, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. This is King Nebuchadnezzar now trying to claim that you're the wicked one, that you're the evil one for not giving him what he wants. How many people f feel like this? That, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the machine that is killing you, yet it's telling you that, you know, it's you. You're the wicked one. You're conspiring. You're evil. You're no good. But that's not true. It's King Nebuchadnezzar that's no good. People haven't done anything wrong at this point. He says, so then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and, and the gods don't live among us this made the king so angry and furious that he orders the execution of all the wise men of babylon i mean what a what a situation to be in when life and death for you is in the hands of whoever wakes up that day whether they wake up in a good mood or a bad mood, your life is up and down. And so up until this point, no one's mentioned Daniel. But if you read chapter 1 and get to the end, you'll actually find out that Daniel was actually instated into the wise men of Babylonia. So this all of a sudden now affects Daniel. He said, so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent out to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So Daniel and his friends weren't even in the room, but because they're wise men, the King Nebuchadnezzar decided that's it for all of them. They're all going. So when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put, the death, put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Now, just a quick one. Again, when the king first speaks to his wise men. They're sycophantically bowing, going, oh, may the long live the king. <laughs> you know. And when Daniel is approached by what looks a difficult situation, men that have got a death penalty for him, he chooses to react with wisdom and tact. You know, he's, he uses his wisdom even when the pressure's on. It's a good 
it's a good lesson. To, there's, there's so many good lessons in this piece of scripture. It's, it's great. So when the pressure's on, Daniel uses wisdom and tact. He asks the king officer, why, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to see the king and asked for some time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, that mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes, which means to bring down kings and raise up others, and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank God, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Now this section here, it should in your Bible or whatever you're reading it in, it should be kind of stuck out in poem kind of format. And whenever we get this, really what any, throughout the scriptures we get this a lot. And really this is the, the writer's way of just slowing us down a bit. And it wants to, really is the essence of what we're trying to get out of the scripture. And there's some really important language in this section. Because what it's trying to do is put into some perspective that who is, who is the king as far as the people are concerned? King Nebuchadnezzar. But who is the king as far as Daniel is concerned? Who's the king of, the, of all time? That's God. Who's really in charge here? God. Who really controls what's going on? God. You know, there's a king that everyone in the room is looking towards. That is claiming the power of life and death. But Daniel understands something more than all of those people in that room. That although King Nebuchadnezzar is dressed like a king and acts like the brokenness of humanity, that claiming life and death in his hands, Daniel knows that he is not the king. There is another king. A king that actually rules over all of this and for all time and controls wisdom and raises up kings. Because actually, if we go back to Genesis 1 um, and we look through the first few pages of the Bible, it's God creates uh, an idol, and that is us in his image. And he asks us to do what? To rule over the earth and subdue it. God put the the power to rule in our hands. But God is the ultimate king. We're just the, we're the image of it. And King Nebuchadnezzar represents what the brokenness of humanity can do. That although given the power to rule, in our brokenness we twist and distort what God had meant for good, and we get a King Nebuchadnezzar. 
But Daniel has an understanding that goes beyond the situation. Let's read about the dream because things get really weird. Verse 24. So then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to see the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. You know, at this point, Daniel hasn't told the king what he thinks his dream is. He's acting entirely on faith. It's fine for us because we know the end of the story. But at this point, Daniel's acting entirely on faith. So Ariok took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles. You know, all, you know all those people that you destroyed, the homes that they raided, that, that town that you pillaged, and those people that you've enslaved? Well, I found a man amongst those people that believes he can tell you what your dream means. So the king then asked Daniel, who at this point no one's calling him Daniel because he's in, he's in Babylon and his name is actually Belteshazzar. Um, and he says, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will, come in days, what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these I can imagine Daniel taking a big deep breath because he knows what he's about to say. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked... And there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out. But not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream and now... We will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind. And the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. And you're the head of that gold. And at this point, I'm sure King Nebuchadnezzar was thinking, this is going to end well for me because it's a good start, Daniel. It's a good interpretation. I'm the gold. And I'm the ruler. And I am the king of kings. Yeah, you're right, Daniel. Um, just there, just in the language that is picking out of Genesis, bearing in mind what we spoke about just in that, that you know, all that language, the ruler of the birds and the air and all of that. It's all language out of Genesis. After you, 
another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things into pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly baked of clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so will the people be a mixture and will remain, not remain united as any more that iron mixes with clay. In those times, in the, excuse me, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what he will take in place, what will take place in the future. The dream is true. And its interpretation is trustworthy. You think, what's going to happen now to Daniel? I mean, uh, he's just he's meant to be trying to save himself from execution. <laughs> but he basically said, King Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom's going to fall. And the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that. And my God is going to raise a kingdom that will remain forever. What's going to happen next? Well, then King Nebuchadnezzar falls prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and order, ordered that an offering and incense to be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king places Daniel in a high position, lavished him with many gifts, made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Those three people are also Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah that was mentioned earlier. That's just their Babylonian names at the end that's a good story isn't it I mean just as a bit of writing that's a good that's a good story I mean there's a, there is definitely a sitcom in that like there's a there's definitely a, a binge watch series in Netflix on that that story and so I spent a lot of time reading scripture you know this is a dangerous portion of scripture really dangerous you know not long after Jesus' death there were some big bloody battles between Israel and Rome. And historians at the time say that the zealot movement was inspired by Daniel too to raise arms in revolution against those that captured them. To raise a violent revolution as the rock that crushes all of those kingdoms lives forever and cannot fade. It raised arms. It raised revolutions. People died. But this is not what the scripture is talking about. Hopefully we all picked up that this scripture is talking about Jesus Christ. But what we're talking about today 
what we're talking about today is what is going to fuel us to remain faithful when everything around you is putting the pressure on to compromise, to give up. When our family is saying, you've, what, you've started going to church? You're taking this a bit serious, aren't you? You're taking all of this Christian stuff a little bit serious. And when the pressure's on you to turn away from the direction of following Christ, when compromise, you know, during this lockdown period, there's very little accountability. You know, you're, you're up to your own devices, in your own homes, doing whatever you want to do with almost no fellowship. And all of a sudden, what is going to motivate you in that moment to continue to follow Christ and not compromise and just go with the flow down the river with everybody else? And when we have this tension, what hope do we have that will fuel us and fuel our faithfulness? And how does Daniel maintain hope in Babylon? Daniel is serving King Nebuchadnezzar, who one moment wants to kill him, the next moment is lavishing him with gifts. How does he maintain his faithfulness? And the one thing that I believe from this scripture, very simply, is that Daniel fully understood that the king of Babylon... And the king of the culture that he was living in was not his king. He was an image of society. But King Nebuchadnezzar was not Daniel's king. And as followers of Jesus, we have to recognise and understand that whatever is pushing against us, whatever culture is trying to force us down the river, Whatever pressure we're under, wherever, whatever it is in our life which is forcing us to compromise our following in Jesus Christ, that is not my king. My king is the creator of the universe. This is not my king. King Nebuchadnezzar may be able to send me this way, send me that way, ask me to wear their clothes, give me a new name, but fundamentally I know and have a hope that my king is Jesus Christ. Christoph, Christos, Jesus Christ, Jesus the king. He is our king. And we have to remind ourselves that, yes, this is difficult. Yes, at the moment the pressure is on. I'm left to my own devices and the pressure is on. But I have to keep telling myself that the king of this culture is not my king. My king is Jesus Christ. And then what happens is, is that Daniel lays out to the king. He says, you know, your kingdom, it's going to fall. You know the kingdom after that, that's got a king, that's going to fall too. You know the kingdom that follows that, that's also got a king, that's going to fall. But I have a king that will never fall. And what Daniel 100% understood was that the scenario that he was in in that moment was temporary and fleeting and at some point would come to an end. Wherever you are at, whatever you are facing, the culture, the fashion, the, 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 the drive, the direction, 
Whatever this world is offering you, let me tell you, it is temporary. It will fleet. It will pass. Last week when we spoke about believing in the imperishable, this is what we're trying to get across. It's understanding that whatever pressure is being applied to you in your life now, let me tell you, you have to understand fundamentally that it will end. There will be an end to it. Of that, there is 100% certainty. Now, all of a sudden, when, when I understand... You know, when I mentioned I was in that, we're we're in a race to swim down the River Severn. And we have to swim against the flow while we're waiting. But each one of us know that at some point, that's going to end and we can go. Now, when you're swimming against the tide, if your mindset is that this is never going to end, the majority of people will give up. If Daniel was stuck in a mindset that said, the king, of, the king Nebuchadnezzar is too big, too strong, and this is never going to end for me, most people will give up because all hope will be gone. Actually, when you can get into your mind and understanding fundamentally that I serve a king that is greater than this, and whatever pressure that is being applied to my life now is temporary, all of a sudden, we can gain the motivation that will fuel our faithfulness to not give up. To not give up hoping. Because just as Daniel outlines there, you know, these big kingdoms that are built, they will end. Whatever's in your life that has been built into an empire, that is just lashing you down. Have hope. Take courage, because it will come to an end. And there is hope in an imperishable, an immovable. Daniel 2, for me, is trying to cultivate a mindset that doesn't tie its identity to a temporary kingdom that's going to fall. And you have to ask yourself the question, am I tying myself to an identity that actually is futile, that's going to fall? Am am I hitching myself to a a, a cart that eventually will break? Am I putting all my hope in trying to fit in in that crowd, trying to make them happy? If my identity is tied to a temporary kingdom, Because let me tell you something. You know, Daniel belonged to the kingdom of God. Guess what kingdom we're still talking about belonging to today? The kingdom of God. There's nobody still claiming to be a part of the kingdom of Babylonia under King Nebuchadnezzar. But there are millions of people that are still claiming to be in the kingdom of God. Daniel was trying to explain to us why Jesus, what was going on. Daniel was a long time before Jesus. And you know, Jesus... Jesus, it was, Daniel was an important book to Jesus. If you read through Matthew, he quotes Daniel quite a lot. John 16, you know, Jesus says to his disciples, and one of the last things he's going to say, he says, uh, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. 
And Jesus was about to go through, was about to go through an execution, which, which in, a, in a beautiful and horrendous way, summed up the brokenness of humanity. Because let me tell you what the world offers you, which is very much the same as what King Nebuchadnezzar offers. And that is they take an innocent man, they beat him, and they execute him for all to see. That is what the world has to offer. In Colossians 2.15, oh, I should have found Colossians. Colossians is hard to find. <laughs> Here we go. In Colossians 2.15, the Apostle Paul sums it up far better than me. Because we do have a king that did through, go through a coronation process. He was given his royal robe when? As he made his way to his execution. He was given his crown when? As he was on his way to his execution. He was hung on a cross and there was a placard above his name which called him king at the time of his execution. He was mocked, beaten by a world. And that is what King Nebuchadnezzar and this world has to offer us. And then the Apostle Paul sums it up like this. In Colossians 2.15, he said, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross, when the king of this world, the king of all time, laid bare the true realities of what this world has to bring, and that is the death of an innocent man. And he offers each one of us hope by saying, even this death, is not enough to take down the kingdom of God and life always remains. Jesus' death was temporary. This world is temporary. Your pain is temporary. The pressure that you're under is temporary. Everything that he's telling you Stop taking this Christian stuff too seriously. Stop following Jesus. Do you not think you're being a bit too extreme? All of those pressures which are forcing you to give up on your faithfulness to God is temporary. Do not tie your identity to it because that will fade and fail you. Daniel understood that the king that was putting him under pressure it's not his king. His king was far greater than that. And we have the evidence of, the, of that today. That our king is greater than any pressure, any punishment, any death. And there is hope. And I want to ask you this one question to finish. As we continue to explore what faithfulness feels like in a world which is calling us to compromise. You know, we make idols of our national identities. When humans take power, we get tribal very quickly. Jesus allowed the empire to execute him. 
And in doing so, he exposed the sin and darkness of humanity through the execution of this innocent man. We have to learn a lesson from history. And I want to ask you this. What in your life do you feel is a decision or a pattern of behaviour in your life that is not conducive to faithfulness to Christ? What is going on in your life what is going on in your world that you need to make a decision to start swimming against the tide of? That you can go, you know what? This is too far. This is not showing faithfulness to God. In this, in this matter, just like Daniel and his friends said, you know, the food, no, it's too far. Well, what in your life feels like it's coming against you? And let me ask you, maybe you need to make a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to start swimming against the tide. You know, this is, this is going to feel hard and it's going to be tiring and it's going to take some strength. But you know what, it's going to be temporary. It's going to be temporary. It will end. Because my king is the only thing that will endure forever. Tie your identity to him. Put your hope in him. And nothing else. What? Do you need to start swimming against the tide of and start motivating yourself to maintain some long-term faithfulness in your life? Amen.